Happy Monday! Welcome to another episode of I Could Never Be. We're into season two, guys, and guess what? We're almost into February. That's something I realized looking at the schedule this week. If you thought 2017 went by fast, well, it seems like 2018 going by just as fast. Hopefully you guys are keeping your resolutions. Hopefully you're doing a good job of just inspiring others and being just a positive light in the world. We need it so much. Today's guest, I am very, very excited to talk with. His story, incredible. He is a double major from George Mason University. He has a master's in economics, and he went to law school and graduated from Georgetown. So you must be thinking, oh man, he must be a big shot lawyer. Nope. Oh, well, he has that master's in economics. He might be in the stock market. Nope. He tells jokes. He is a host and a comedian. He hosts and does comedy two nights a week at the world-renowned Laugh Factory in West Hollywood, California. Now, that comedy club has sparked and grown the careers of greats such as Tim Allen, Dave Chappelle, Roseanne Barr, Nick Cannon, and many others. Please welcome Tehran Van Gasseri. Let's not throw Nick Cannon in that mix. Here's the thing. Let's not throw Nick Cannon. Now, while Nick Cannon, my boy, he's a, he's a mogul, let's mm-hmm. not throw him in the comedy mix. Okay. You know who Nick Cannon is? Nick Cannon is the guy that makes you realize if you work hard, you can do anything. Including Mary Mariah Carey. I mean, that's really... <laughs> everyone thinks that's his biggest accomplishment. It actually isn't. The fact that he had a song with R. Kelly and it's it true. went platinum. He, he does everything. Platinum albums. That's his biggest accomplishment. Because who wants to listen to Nick Cannon? A, a million people did. A million people. Yeah. He's... Nick Cannon is a perfect example of 99%. Look, when you have a 1% group, first mm-hmm. of all, I'm Tehran, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he yeah. hyped me way more than I'm... <laughs> I'm not that... Like, I was like, who's coming on the show? <laughs> so, thanks, Michael, for having me. But I, I want to talk about this point really quickly because Kevin and yourself always... Oh, we, yeah. we have these conversations all the time. And there's a, there's a 1%, right? This mm-hmm. 1% is are people who are just... Uh, who have an innate ability to do something, the LeBron James of the yep. world, right? Uh, you have people like Mariah Carey mm-hmm. and her her voice, Whitney Houston. Some, so 1% talent. Exactly. It's a 1% talent pool that's just, you are amazing genetically, physiologically, just spiritually, just something about you is amazing. But the rest of the people who are successful in the world are 99%ers. That means they're anybody. They are the Steph Currys. They are the people who weren't supposed to be in the league in the first place. You're too small. You're too slow. You're too this. You're too that. And you practice, 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 practice. Work hard, and you make it. And that's the thing. And, and hard work and motivation beats talent any day. hmm Pure talent. It just beats talent. Now, if you're talented and hardworking, it's a you great will, combo. You're the man. You are. You are it. You are Dave Chappelle. You will uh, catapult yourself to greatness. Mm-hmm. But if you're just hardworking and ambitious and dedicated and prepared, you will beat talent every single time. I feel like that. That could be. That, that could be the show. I mean, that was so much. And good night. And that's all we have. No, but this is a show we do every single Monday. We are here to motivate and inspire and help you live your best life. You can follow us. On YouTube, we have this Apple podcast. Be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe, rate, comment, show some love. That's what we need in this world. If you want to follow Tehran off the show, I am Tehran on Twitter and on Instagram. You can follow me at the only MC on Twitter and Instagram as well. Five, ten years ago, comedy, was it even in the Not picture? even. Not even. Cl- Listen, five years. If you asked me about it five years and one day ago, I was like, <laughs> never, right? I don't even like comedy that much. I don't even like, you know, interesting, 
interestingly enough, the only comedy specials I've ever actually watched all the way through, uh, Dave Chappelle's comedy mm-hmm. specials, uh, a couple of Chris Rock, like a little bit of Chris Rock, and that's it. I'm not, I wasn't this comedy fan. I wasn't the kid growing up waiting to be the comedian. I was popular, maybe a bit of like the quote-unquote class clown, but not something where you'd be like, hey, that's the guy who's mm-hmm. going to just be a comedian. That wasn't plan A. This, was, this is plan G. It fell into it. I fell into it, and I'm making the best out of this situation. But but you, you you're loving it right now. You're happy. I love this, it. this is the you, this is what you want to do. This is it. This is okay. it. I'm going. I want to be the next Adam Sandler, except with a purpose. So Adam Sandler puts out all these projects. He hooks up his friends. Like I'm going to hook up Michael one day. Like he hooks up his boys and he puts things together and he greenlights these projects and all these little stupid movies mm-hmm. he puts on hit record breaking numbers. Yeah. But they have no purpose. They're just content. I want to create content with a purpose. That means I want to talk about things like have social commentary, uh, racial inequality, gender mm-hmm. inequality, religious tolerance. These mm-hmm. kind of things are are issues that I feel like could come to the forefront. And this comedy, a lot of people think comedians were just we're just like there to make you laugh. We're jesters. No, the best comedians are much more like philosophers. Aristotle, Plato, uh, Nietzsche—they would all be comedians if they were alive today. The people who make you think the most about race, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, the ones who make you think the most about family, mm-hmm. he who must not be named, uh, Louis C.K. Yeah. I mean, these are the people who make you just, they see, see the world. Uh, even in politics, the leading voices in politics are comedians. John Stewart, um, Stephen Colbert, mm-hmm. John Oliver, yeah. Trevor Noah. These, they shift the political landscape like a quadruple amount of points than a regular debate or a town hall meeting mm-hmm. because they're in the forefront and they are saying it with a spoonful of sugar. It makes you laugh and learn at the same time. I feel like that's especially prevalent in uh, Dave Chappelle's like new comedy special. Sure. Especially because he's not just trying to crack jokes. There are times when he's just talking with people. That's actually what Dave does best. Dave, look, one time, and I'm going to tell you a very surreal story that happened, and it was uh, about a year and some change ago. Mm-hmm. And I was at the Laugh Factory and... Dave Chappelle's good friend Sarah was like, hey, Dave's at the comedy store. He wants you to come up and go up, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. I get to the comedy store, and it's Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Chris Rock, myself. <laughs> in the room. I, and Kevin I had known from before. Mm-hmm. His manager, Pookie, is a staple at the Laugh Factory, does mm-hmm. Chocolate Sunday. That's where he came up on at the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. So Kevin... And I'd never met Chris Rock. I'm familiar with Tony Rock, his mm-hmm. brother, and Jordan Rock, also his brother, both comedians. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, this is a room full of greatness. I'm clearly the nobody on the window. I go up. I do well. I have a good time. I come off. Then the audience is just having a good time. They see me. Oh, Tehran's here. Then right next, Chris Rock goes up. Everyone goes crazy. Chris Rock? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Where's he even been, right? Mm-hmm. Goes up, does about 20 minutes of new material, comes off. Kevin Hart goes up. Everyone at this point is just crazy. The audience is like mind blown. What's going on here? This is craziness. Does about 20 minutes. Comes off. All new material they're working on. Dave Chappelle goes up. They had their pads. They had their pencils. Everything. We're working. Mm-hmm. We're... Dave Chappelle goes up and effortlessly does 45, 50 minutes. Easy. Easy. Like it's nothing. Talks. Uh, just conversational and the thing humor. Is, exactly. Chris Rock said a lot of jokes. Kevin Hart said a bunch of jokes. Dave Chappelle said things, and some of it was funny, some of it wasn't. But the point is, for 10 minutes of that 45 minutes, 
he said things and was so funny that none of us, Kevin, Chris, and myself combined, could never be that funny. Like it was these God moments where he's saying, he's getting standing ovations in the middle of his set. Wow. And it's better than everything we've done combined. And that, and it was a moment, every, and even Kevin and Chris looked at each other and were like, this guy. <laughs> yeah. Like they just knew, you know? And these guys are all, these guys are gods of comedy. Mm-hmm. But I would like to point out the 1% rule. Chris, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle, I would argue, are in that 1%, right? Mm-hmm. This talent, just their minds, they're brilliant. But Kevin Hart is a 99%er. Yeah. And he's the nicest, hardest working 99%er I have ever met in my life. And he has worked his way to the top and he will never let it go Pe- because he's that amazing. People know Kevin Hart as of like four or five years ago and they don't realize he is in his mid to upper 30s and he has literally grinded. He's 39, yeah. yeah. He's grinding. He's been working. Yeah. You didn't even know about him for easily 15 years of his mm-hmm. first 15. 16, 17 years of yeah. career. And he wasn't in law school. Easy. He was yeah, doing no. comedy. The he was literally time. doing comedy the entire time. He was soul playing. This what? He was in Depth of Dynasty in 2001. <laughs> I mean, this guy has a real resume, but he worked and worked and worked and worked. And when it came time for his opportunity, he went with it. And he didn't look back because he had the work ethic and the mindset. And he knew where, what it was like before. And he would never go back. And it was, it's amazing watching him work. So do you see yourself as a 99% or a 1% and how does that you know, change the way you live and the way you go about comedy? I'm not even – I don't even see myself as a comedian. Right? <laughs> let's, let's start right there. I'm, at, I'm, I'm, I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler and right now my, my hustle is comedy. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm pushing right now. That's, mm-hmm. that's the mindset that I have. I hustle. I work hard. I am a 99th percenter. I work, work, work as much as possible. No days off. Holiday, there are no holidays for yeah. me. Uh, every day, every day is a Monday. Every day, every day I'm at work. Every single day. So today is like, oh, it's Monday. Don't you hate Mondays? Love Mondays. Yeah, I love Mondays. I need yep. to work. If I'm not working, I go crazy. Mondays one to make seven, it. not one to five. Exactly. It's not even. Not even. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exactly. Like it doesn't stop. It's one to seven. No, it's one of. It's every day, 365 mm-hmm. days a year is a Monday for me. And I know it's, and you know what I liked about you is that I saw that same work ethic when I met you. Yeah. And you have that, like, have to make it. How was, how was your weekend? I worked. Weekend? Yeah. What, is, what yeah. weekend? Yeah. You had a weekend? Saturday was, you know, conference and helping projects and, yeah, plan, Sundays, planning out the week, getting yourself prepped, producing. Yeah, it's what you got to do as a 99 percenter. You have to. You have to. Because I'm not, look, there are people who's like, oh, have you ever been to, like, Rite Aid? And seeing someone who's like six nine working at the cashier, mm-hmm. you know why he's not in the NBA? Didn't have the work ethic. Mm-hmm. Just didn't have the practice. Like, and I'm not saying everyone who's tall has to play in the NBA, but that guy who used to play basketball, if you talk to them, and I, I played basketball, so that's mm-hmm. like my go to concept of what can happen. If you talk to them and you see that they have a bad attitude, and it's always the coach did this, and yeah. my teacher did that, and it's never their fault. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to someone like a Michael Jordan, it, everything's his fault, no matter what. I shouldn't have passed the ball. I should have done this. I could have done this. I could have done better. It's mm-hmm. never someone else that messed yep. up. It's always, what could I have done to change this circumstance? Yeah. And it's not the Michael Jordan who, who quit when he got cut and went to JV. Yeah. No, it's the Michael Jordan who saw that and was like, 
need to work harder. And work harder. And I mean, it did help that he grew six inches on the offseason. It did. Coaches help. never talk about that. <laughs> he grew six inches on his offseason, came back, was like, oh, yeah, I'm 6'6 six, six now. What up? <laughs> what up, bitches? So like, they, okay, so, you win. So comedy was plan G. Yes. Was it plan G literally all the way up until it became plan A? Or like growing up, because I know you, growing up, half Persian, half black. What was the plan as a child? What did you want to well, do? do? It's interesting because I, I do come from this diverse background. I'm, my dad's Persian from Iran and my mother's black from the United States. Mm-hmm. And then her family on her side is Jewish and my dad's family is – I mean I'm just all kinds of messed up, You're right? Everything. So what could I do? I had planned on – Becoming Puff Daddy. That's who I wanted to be. Okay. I grew up like in the in the 90s. No one was cooler than Puff Daddy. Take that, take that, take that. He was all up in the videos, all up in the radio. <laughs> and I wanted to be Puff. I, I In terms of music? Because Puff now is like in everything. But Puff in the 90s was, was a lot of music. It was a lot of music, but I saw the mogulness in okay. him. And I'll tell you why. I was I was maybe eight years old, nine years old, and I was running the streets of D.C. And I saw there was this party. This It was an all-white party. I'd never seen something where everyone was wearing all-white. And it was at this club. The owner of the club was a guy who I later worked with. His name is Mark Barnes. There was this club, and this guy walks up in this shiny white suit with all these beautiful women and just... And you could tell he's a star. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who's that guy? And everyone was like, Puff, Puff, Puff. <laughs> and it was Puff Daddy, and he was throwing this all-white party, which became a regular thing mm-hmm. for him. And he actually kind of made it very popular. And I was like, who's that? I need to learn everything about that guy. And he was just getting into managing Biggie at the time and all these rappers. And he, he became the Puff we know today. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it like, I need to be him. And I just wanted to be it in every aspect. And everything I did after high school was kind of in that route. I was throwing events. I was throwing parties. I was planning events, concerts. I was doing big concerts. Worked for uh, Live Nation at, uh, mm-hmm. throwing events. Worked for Puff himself uh, working on projects. Did music videos the whole nine. And what happened was with that is I was managing artists. One artist who now is... I mean, he, he at the time, he was getting beats from Kanye West. I mean, he was a big deal. Mm-hmm. He ghost wrote a bunch of songs. And another, a group who, one of the artists from the group, the one that they actually disliked the most, the one that they wanted to kick out because he was a little <laughs> off, and I thought was the most talented, now has, I think, like eight Grammys. And I was managing them. And both just fell apart as I was going through my master's, looking into mm-hmm. law school. And when they fell apart, I was like, well, what... I need to do something. I can't manage other people Mm -hmm. because I feel like talent always wants to self-destruct. I'm going to become my own talent. I'm going to become my own product. What can I do? Well, I can't sing. I can't dance. (laughs) Can't rap that well. Like, I can't do it. What can I? I'm funny. I'm funny. And I always say things that people, we get in these conversations and and it's a flow. So I was like, I'm going to do comedy. And, And it really came down because I said in the beginning that comedy is a, a, a language of philosophers and I mean that I mean because good comedy a good comedian will make you laugh mm-hmm. a great comedian a great comedian will make you think it's not enough to be like ha 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 the best comedy is the one where you're like that's so true an observation mm-hmm. an observation that's mundane or something that's average but the way we word it 
it makes you ponder the existence of the universe. Yeah, it's something that you laugh at now, but you think about in two hours. Exactly, and it makes you think, and and you see these concepts come up time and time and time again with comedians, and so that's why that's why I dr- I drifted towards comedy. Even the law degree, because a lot of people always ask, well, why get the masters? Why get the law degree? I've always thought that, number one, being a minority in this country, let alone anyone in this country, but especially minorities, uh, it is a it is a responsibility for all of us to be as educated as you can possibly be. Second, as young people in this country, it's a responsibility for us since we have so much opportunity to mm-hmm. be educated, despite the growing debt. I'm talking about... If you can't go to college, read on your own. Mm-hmm. Learn on your own. Stop being spoon-fed all this information. So many people is like, a, a, a crazy world we live in is where like, you, you get your comedy from the news now, and you get mm-hmm. all your news from comedians. Yep. And that's the world we actually live in. Mm-hmm. That's the world. That's where we're at. And I've always been a fan of things like Saturday Night Live. My buddy Chris Red's on mm-hmm. it now. I've been a fan of comedy. Super bad. Super bad is like classic mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> but I was never like, oh, I love comedic movies. I never died over Friday and movies of that nature. Mm-hmm. I just never. Dumb and Dumber isn't my cup okay. of tea. You know, I'm more of a into Fight Club kind of guy. You know, yeah. I'm more into things like that. Memento is Memento, fantastic, is a, a fantastic movie. Watched regularly or watched, uh, you know, end to end of like in actual sequential order. In sequential order, I've never actually watched it like mm. that. That's great. Yeah, someone did it. They did a, a different cut of it. Oh, I never yep. saw that. But that's what I mean. Like I was always into that kind of stuff, right? And of course, I played sports and I, I did really well academically. Mm-hmm. I never thought comedy, but then when I had the opportunity and I started the Laugh Factory, and, and for those of you who don't know, the World Famous Laugh Factory is literally world famous. It's one yes. of the top three, if not at least five, places on the entire planet that you that greatness is born yeah. in the comedic world. Mm-hmm. Easy. This is the you're lucky if you get to go on stage, stage there as a comic. A hundred percent. The the stage is the birthplaces of people like. Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and Roseanne, and just mm-hmm. it's amazing. I had an opportunity to get on the stage. I was still in law school, mm-hmm. so what I did was for the for nine and a half months, nine months, three weeks, mm-hmm. I took a flight every single Monday, and this was when Virgin America first started. By the way, <laughs> so flights were ninety nine dollars each way from D.C. because I'm from Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, from D.C. to L.A. and I. I would get on that flight, and I would get there. I would take the bus to another bus, get to World Famous Laugh Factory, and then have to run back just to make my class in the morning, take the red eye back, and do my work on the plane both ways. And I was like, I'll sleep later. I'll sleep later. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me how great I am. I'm saying, look at me. I'm the worst, and I was able to do it. So that means you can do it. Like, literally, you can do it. And, And there's a lot of people in the process who are like, well, I don't know where to start. Well, slow motion is better than no motion. Get up, yeah. get out, just start. And it, and now we can Google everything. We can YouTube mm-hmm. everything. I Googled. I didn't even know what the Laugh Factory was. I Googled it. Yeah. I actually was watching TV, and I was thinking what I want to do next. I want to be on TV. I want to be my own product. And I saw a comedian. His name is Mikey Winfield. We're friends today. Mikey Winfield was on Fuse TV, a Canadian cable network that was like MTV.0 because it was from Canada. <laughs> and he had a show. Start also birthplace of Billy on the street. Now, mm-hmm. Mikey Winfield is like a light-skinned black guy with a fro, and I saw him, and I literally was like, 
man, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and that's really, and I Googled him, and this is when Google took like minutes, you know? It wasn't yeah. just like automatic. And I saw that he was performing at the Laugh Factory that night, and then I Googled the Laugh Factory and looked up the history, and I was like, I have to get in front this of is these the people. This next step. I got to get in front of these people, and I did. And I did. And there was a manager at the time there. Her name is Christina Shams. Uh, she had heard about me because I had been doing stuff. I had been doing stuff in entertainment, but not necessarily comedy-wise, and she gave me an opportunity. I presented a plan to the owner. The owner never, Jamie Masada, who's an amazing person, uh, never thought to ask if I'd ever done comedy before because I was prepared. You've never done comedy? I'd never done comedy before that. And actually, I'd done one show where a Maximini had come to D.C. and I hosted. (laughs) And I got on that stage and I just worked, worked, worked all the way. And with comedy... Like anything else, practice makes perfect. It's the Malcolm Gladwell outlier rule, ten thousand mm-hmm. the rule of ten thousand hours. Ten thousand hours. Whatever you do, if you do ten thousand hours of it, you will be a pro. And I'm working on my ten thousand hours. I get up three, four times a night. Are people like three, four times a week? No, a night. Mm-hmm. I get up every single night. I have to work. I'm writing. I'm coming up with new things. I'm always on. I'm prag- I live in a bathrobe. I mean, how many people knew you were doing for those ten months that you were doing that, taking the flights, taking the flights back, going I, to school? I didn't tell anyone. Only only a handful of my closest friends. Who, so did anyone from the Laugh Factory? know? They did not know because if they knew, then I would have probably lost it. They wouldn't have allowed that chance because if a flight gets delayed, yeah. anything happened. They did not know. They actually would ask me why I have a little duffel bag and things like. They'd be like, "Wait, where you come from? The gym." There's a security guard there, Randy. He'd be like, you come from the gym? What's going on? I'm like, yeah, man, sorry. I'm sweaty. I'm, I got to run up. I got to go up. And I would get there, and I would just get on. And it's, it was work. And everything that I've had subsequently from that has been from the Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. But it, was, it wasn't just luck. I was, it wasn't like I was in the right place at the right time, and they chose me. I made sure to put myself in that yep. position. And when the opportunity arose, I was prepared. I didn't scramble to see what was going to mm-hmm. happen. I was ready. I'd already had my mindset. And I also spoke it into and affirmed it. I spoke it out loud. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And I did. Yeah. And they said, uh, there's a quote that says, like, opportunity looks a lot like hard work. Because it, the opportunity, you, you can either just wait and be like, all right, well, I, I know I can do it, but someone's just going to come to me. Or say, I know I can do it. Let me get in front of someone. Let me make this happen. Yeah. And actually, that's interesting. There was this poker commercial on TV for one of these poker sites. Mm-hmm. And, but it used to have the best quote where it was like, uh, good luck. It's interesting how the luckiest people are also the hardest working. Yeah. You know? Yep. Is it a coincidence? Something like that. And it's not a coincidence. It's no. not a coincidence. No. And I'm not saying, oh, work hard. I mean, everyone just says work hard. But working hard is an actual skill. Mm-hmm. It takes practice like anything else to Practice to work hard, to work towards something. Not just work a lot, because there's a difference between working a lot and working towards. And you Mm -hmm. want to work towards something. Move in a direction. Have a plan. Because if you don't, and I hear this all the time, people are like, I want to be a comedian. I want to be a singer. I want to be a rapper, because it looks easy. It looks fun. Mm -hmm. We're always having fun, right? Yeah. I've been on summer vacation for the past five years, right? Not true. It's work. Going to events and going to parties seems fun, but it's actually work when it's your job. So it's, it's like a thing where people just are like, I wish I was a rapper. 
I want to be a rapper. I want to be a rapper. Oh, do you have a SoundCloud? Mm-hmm. Do you have a logo? Do you have a yeah. name? Do you have an Instagram file? I don't like Instagram. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't want to. I don't do. I don't practice. I don't. Then you don't want to be a rapper. You wish you were a rapper. Yeah. Like you wish there was a magic genie who could snap their fingers or whatever they do and make you a rapper mm-hmm. and you'd be famous. You don't want it because if you wanted it, you would work on it. And it's, you know, one of the examples that I think of now, I, I think of this and I'm like, you know, a lot of people are sure like, well, how, how did she get to be where she, Cardi B. Cardi like, B. How, how did, Car- really? Cardi B, how did she get to be? She must have, no, 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 no. I guarantee she hustled. And obviously we know she a says certain it. hustle. There ain't no but like, B word that works as hard yeah. as me. Cardi yeah. B. Because you she's actually doing the work. You know where I be? I can just give you a couple minutes if you don't want to just yeah, go for just, it. She's so, her, her <laughs> rhymes are so catchy. Yeah. And it's like because we all see the one that's in like the tabloids or the one that sure. you know have the Instagram pictures. But behind the scenes, man, hustling. Hustling, hustling, hustling. Of course. Overnight, overnight success takes 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Especially in Hollywood. Uh, on the flights, you know, to and from. And I want to get it. What were the emotions that... You were kind of facing exhaustion. obviously exhaustion, but not every night. I'm sure when you went was a good night. And then, like any road team, after a loss, you have a three or four hour flight back. What were the emotions during that ten months for you while you're headed there, going through it, and you think about quitting? And then maybe after a bad night, when you have that three or four hours, what are you thinking about? All right, I'm gonna tell you. So for, it was a five hour flight, which makes it even worse. Man. Five, five and a half. Okay. Second of all. I never had a really bad night, okay. and, but I will tell you my bad night stories. So I'm not saying I've never taken a no. Mm-hmm. There are two that stick out in my mind. There was one time a comedian by the name of Whitney Cummings, and mm-hmm. she's amazing. She is the executive producer and creator of Two Broke Girls, yep. plus she has a, a slew of specials, the show Whitney. Whitney Cummings is fantastic. Mm-hmm. She was on my show, and she did so well, so amazing, so on point. And at this time, I had maybe seven minutes of material. And she did 30 minutes like it was nothing. So, well, I wanted to quit. I was like, what am I doing? I'm not brilliant like You're her. intimidated? Intimidated. I was, I was just everything you could be to be deflated. Because she was so – it's like if you were, once again, going to basketball. If you're like some high school kid and you play an NBA player and he just blocks every one of your shots. I mean, and, and it's not even like she was going up against me, but – Comedy, like the rap game, is a competitive sport. Everyone is your your competitor, mm-hmm. and you want to be better, and you yeah. want them to make you better, and steel sharpens steel. And I was like, that steel would break my sword. What <laughs> am I doing? You know. And Whitney's actually been a very great influence on me on that. And then, and she's always been so supportive. And comedy, at the same time, is a team sport where we do have each other's backs, or mm-hmm. at least we should. Mm-hmm. And hope to make it work for one another. Now, there are comedians who sit there and hope you die so that they can get your time on the mic. They really do that. Mm-hmm. There are people like that. But the other time that was the one that stuck out in my mind, I mean, this was the time that I was, man, this was flatline. Uh, there was a comedian, Chris D'Elia. Now, if you don't know Chris D'Elia, she, he was also on the show Whitney. He has been on Workaholics. He was on uh, a, this... He's been on a slew of shows. Mm-hmm. Chris Lee is definitely the man on the come up, right? Mm-hmm. Chris Lee and Dane Cook were having this competitive comedy rivalry, meaning here's the Dane Cook, the legend, is going up, and then Chris Lee is the guy on the come up. Mm-hmm. And 
Dane Cook and Chris D'Elia would kind of battle it out for the crowd's approval. Mm-hmm. Now, the crowd would come to the Laugh Factory uh, on those nights, Friday and Saturday nights, because Dane Cook was there 100%. Mm-hmm. There was no question. But they learned about this guy, Chris D'Elia, and was thing. Chris D'Elia goes up, and it's amazing. It's, he gets a standing ovation. He gets standing in 25 minutes, murders, kills. Dane Cook's supposed to be next. Dane goes, T, you're going up next. <laughs> and I wasn't prepared. I had just come there to watch because I go to the Laugh Factory every night to watch everyone else because mm-hmm. I can learn from everyone just doing their thing. And I was like, oh, no. And by the time, as I'm saying no, my name's called. Frazier Smith, the host, goes up, calls my name, does little jokes. Hey, everybody, Frazier goes up, calls my name. I go up and. You have 10 seconds. Crickets. Crickets, five minutes of. I mean, it wasn't even booing. It was so bad. They were quiet. And one person actually Ugh. said, Good try, honey. Like, and, but meant it. Ugh. It was bad. And as I came off, Dane goes, Thanks, bro. And goes up <laughs> and just kills. And I was <laughs> like, I, man, I, I was going to quit. I was going to quit. Really? And uh, the manager there, you know, saw what happened. I was just done. I just walked out. I didn't even say a word. And the very next night, it was like, you know, you should always be ready. You're up next. And I went up and I killed. And I, I learned a valuable lesson to always be prepared. I will always be ready to go. I will hmm. never not be. You have to be fearless. And I'm not saying don't have fear. Fearless is different. Uh, you have to be Brave. Bravery is a choice. You decide to take on the dragon that you are deadly afraid of. You have to be that in whatever it is that you're doing. You have to make that decision. It's not fear. Like, if you're just not afraid of anything, you're stupid, right? Yeah. It's about being like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to press I'm going to press the levels and push the envelope and see how far I can go. It's like a muscle. You, you add a weight each day, and that's how you get stronger. If you keep up with the same weight, you'll get toned, but you'll never get stronger. Mm-hmm. You'll never get bigger. And same thing with the muscle of success. I feel like a lot of comedians even use the negative things that happen in their lives. Of course. And that they, they literally turn the table. They're like, this could be a negative that gets me down. Or I can literally do a 180 and use it to my advantage as a joke. It's your shirt. It's your shirt. You decide. It's a smiley fa- face or a frowny face. You decide. Mm-hmm. Literally, you decide. You get to turn which way. And, and with comedy, it's a fine line between comedy and tragedy, right? So uh, you, you're walking down the street and you see an old lady with a cane crossing the street, get hit by a truck, fly up in the air, and then land and a bird poop on her face. And that's comedy. <laughs> you know? She's okay. That's yeah. comedy. You get a paper cut, and and it hurts and it stings for an hour. That's tragedy, mm. you know. It's 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 perception. It's how you play it, how you make it work. And the best comedians can press push those envelopes. What is the, is there a line? You know, I think we were talking about this the other night. Of what, what is the line for a comedian of what you're talking about and how hard is it to manage? Okay, this is bad, but it's funny. This is bad and inappropriate. And do a lot of com- comedians. Struggle with that because sure, you're constantly pushing the You're envelope. afraid. Uh, you're afraid. You see people's uh, careers get ruined. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big incident that actually happened at the Laugh Factory with uh, with Kramer, mm-hmm. the guy who plays yeah. Kramer, yep. went up and I Michael mean, Richards. Uh, Michael Richards, and 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 it was 
notorious and infamous and ended his comedy career because mm-hmm. he went off and used rach- uh, racial epithets towards an audience member who was heckling or at least he thought was heckling. And it turns out the guy wasn't even the one involved. <laughs> and and he uses the N-word he, and goes off and mm. and it was bad. And everyone's like, Michael Richards is the biggest racist. And, and comedians all know, no, he's not mm-hmm. a racist. His crime isn't using the N-word. His crime was not being funny. He thought as he went, he collapsed, he went into, he went overboard and he just, he went wrong. He wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. Those jokes weren't funny. It was rude and inappropriate mm-hmm. and disgusting. And if you were a good comedian, you could say the same thing or something better or you would come up with something better and handle it better Mm -hmm. and be wittier and faster and smarter and more charming. And that in itself is funny. That guy, that would have never happened to Dave. It would have never happened to Kevin. It would have never happened to Chris. It would have never happened to he who must not be named right Mm -hmm. now, Louis C.K. I mean, it would have just never happened to these guys. Bill Burr, amazing. Yeah. You know? Uh you have to be, and you have to as a comedian, and it's something Dave Chappelle told me specifically. Actually, this happened right before he was taping. I was mm-hmm. at all those tapings. I was part of a lot of that stuff. And he said, it's our responsibility, and he says it in the special, it's our responsibility as comedians to push the envelope, to make it happen. And, and the thing about it is, here, there is offensive speech. And if you're offensive just for the sake of being offensive, then that's not appropriate. But if you're offensive because you have a, a point to make, being offended doesn't mean you're right. Doesn't mean people who are out there just being offended doesn't mean you're right. At mm. the same time, just being offensive yeah. doesn't mean you're right either. True. There's there's a fine line and if you're true and sincere to your word, people will feel that sincerity no matter what what you say and they will believe you. And they will un- and, and you can understand without condoning People say crazy things all the time, but that's the point of comedy. And if you don't believe in the freedom of speech, right, this concept of freedom of speech, if you don't believe in the freedom of speech for the people you disdain, then you don't believe in the freedom of speech. And we see a lot mm-hmm. of that now. And we see a lot of it actually on the liberal side where the liberal bullying, where it's like this, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that. No, I believe in free speech, but yeah. you're not allowed to say that. And then hmm. on the flip coin is the conservatives. The same, you know? same exact thing. You're not allowed to think that. You're not yeah. allowed to be that. Yeah. You're not allowed... What? We need to push the envelopes. Comedy and entertainment is very needed in the world Mm -hmm. because it stretches our creativity and our minds. Mm -hmm. And Steven Spielberg is just as influential in the world. And Dave Chappelle is just as influential in the world as a lot of historical characters and figures as the George Washingtons. They shape our minds. And like you said at the beginning of the show, people get their news from comedians. People trust comedians. They do. And that is, that's, should be, it is pressure, but it's good pressure. To tell the truth. I mean, to tell and, the truth. at least a perspective. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing. Maj Brani, uh, also amazing comedian, told me this. It's like, always have an opinion. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just always have an opinion. That's what comedy, you always have an opinion. I think that's even. Uh, that's Facebook too, by the way. <laughs> And Twitter. A couple months ago, I think they, they were talking about uh, the nightly comedians who do the late shows and talking about you know how they handle Trump. And I think that's why Jimmy Fallon was like, I, I don't talk about it that much. Because I could beat the dead horse. But then I, I want to be able to, to challenge and do other things. And sure, be able to of course. talk about other things. Of course. Unless that's who you are. Unless you are that guy. Don't do it just to do it because you're yes. catering. Mm-hmm. That's when you fail. If you're catering, look, 
if money's your objective, then you're in the wrong field. Comedy is not this <laughs> lucrative. I mean, once you want to talk about one percent, the one percent is making money, right? <laughs> Comedy's not, but there's money being. It's 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 legit. But what I'm saying that for is to let you know that if you're doing anything just for the money, you're probably not going to do it right. If you do anything well and you do it really well, you will make money. There's this guy, and he eats hot dogs. And I'm sure at some point his parents were like, "Why do you eat so?" Mm-hmm. Why do you eat so much hot dog? <laughs> and then Kobayashi is born. And, then and he makes millions of dollars millions. eating hot dogs. Hot dogs, people. Hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Because he's the best hot dog eater in the world. <laughs> right? Michael Phelps is a swimmer. That's all he, does. all he does is swim. He jumps in water and swim. Remember when you used to think it was fun to go to the pool? He made it work. Because he loved it so much. And, you know... 28 million gold medals later. Yeah. That's who he is. Yep. You know? So you can have fun and do what you love and actually do it. What do you and Kevin always say? We don't have to do you this. You don't have to do it. You get to we do it. We get to do this. Mm-hmm. We get to do this. And that's the way I feel like everyone should live their life. Get to do it. You get to be alive. That is real. We don't have to be alive. You get to be alive. Make the best out of your day. Make the best out of your month or year. In the closing minutes that we have, uh, hearing everything that you've done, experienced, you know, the, all your education, all your experiences, what is success to you? You know, someone who wanted to be Puff, as someone who went to law school at Georgetown, as someone who has been the comedian, uh, as, you know, had all the, these mentors in the industry and learned from them and not everything you've experienced, what is success to you? I realized that actually as I was growing, I was like, oh, if I get this, success is when I feel like I'm ready to stop, not when I'm stopped. Hmm. When I'm, I'm ready to stop, Jim Carrey, the guy who's just like, I did it. Now I'm good. Mm-hmm. That's I, I did it. Mm-hmm. And that on my terms, the Frank Sinatra did it my way. That's what success is to me. That's when I'll be happy. I'll be content is when I've done it so much that I'm ready to stop. The world didn't stop me. Love it. Love it. We've that fantastic. Literally, this has been so much fun. We have some rapid fire questions. Sure. I always do rapid fire questions at the end. Bring the uh, energy up a little bit. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question. Who's the best comedian in the game right now? Chappelle. Who do you look up to the most as a comedian? Chappelle. Why? I I think he's brilliant. I, Mm I watched Dave Chappelle is the reason that I went into comedy. Mm-hmm. His first special is amazing. That that voice like Dave, Dave, that's his <laughs> voice. That is that white guy voice is him. <laughs> it's brilliant. He's brilliant. Awesome. Uh if you could perform anywhere, where would it be? Madison Square Garden. In front of a sold out crowd? Sold out crowd. I've done I've done other venues that I've wanted like before this it would have been Warner Theater, but I've done Warner Theater sold out crowd. Before that it would have been John F. Kennedy Center and I did John F. Kennedy Center sold out crowd. So now Madison Square Garden. Awesome. If you could perform for anyone, who would it be? Anyone comes to your show, front row, watch you, who would it be? I would say that's a tough one. I'm gonna have to go with three people. Okay. My parents. Awesome. Oprah. Yep. Ellen. Great. I feel like if my dad laughs, and I counted my dad and mom as one person because my mom just laughs at it. Mm-hmm. My mom loves me so much; she'll just 
<laughs> like, oh, you're so it's w- easy. You're yeah. wonderful. Like, yeah. yo, my, if my dad laughs, if Oprah laughed and Ellen laughed, I'm good. All right. And final question. Yes. But seriously, why did the chicken cross the road? You know what? Only one way to find out. Find me at my shows, Mondays and Thursdays at the Laugh Factory. And check me out on social media at I am Tehran all across the board. And maybe you'll know the answer to that question. Boom. Boom. That's what we got. Fantastic. Thank you. Brother, dude, this was great, man. Yeah. Seriously, if you did not get inspired and motivated listening to this, well, I don't know much more, much, what else I can do. There's not much more. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of I Could Never Be here on the Popcorn Talk. Again, we are here every Monday. He's every Monday and Thursdays at the Laugh Factory, 10 Check p.m. Check me out, 10 p.m. at the Laugh Factory in West Hollywood and on the weekends at Long Beach Laugh Factory. But... In general, find me. I'll be at a city near you very soon. There you go. Thank you for joining us, guys. Again, we are here on YouTube Live every Monday, Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend, like, comment, subscribe, show some love, both on the show and in the world around you. We'll see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.